Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Dickerson. Tech, 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 tech talk. Tech, 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 tech talk. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back for another turbocharged, fully loaded digital grab bag with our tech talking guru, Matthew Dickerson. I'm James Eddy, and we're going to dive right down the rabbit hole straight away today with a great way to lose your load of rubbish, let's talk. As we head into the, the next quarter of the 21st century, we've got to find a new way to lose our rubbish. First of all, g'day, Matthew. How are you going? Yeah, g'day, James. Thanks. I'm glad I made it back to guru status again. I think I dropped off guru last week, but we're back into it now. Good. Yeah, no, of course. I'm re- reinitiating that status now. Now, look, garbage trucks, noisy, um, garbage bins, smelly. There's got to be a modern alternative to how we get rid of our waste, yeah? Yeah, there has to be. And, and I kind of think of the Jetsons. The Jetsons got a lot of things right compared to you know, 1962, I think the Jetsons came well, why out. why wouldn't you use a cartoon as a model? Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Why not? <laughs> if they can do everything, you can do that, like Dick Tracy with our, yeah, our actually, Apple Watches yeah. and our, our wrists. But, so the idea here is a vacuum tr- tube to whisk away your rubbish. I mean, you might think the idea sucks, James. Uh, <laughs> but that's exactly the good. type of system that's been installed in one small area. In 2016, the Sunshine Coast announced a pipe network of six kilometres was about to be constructed. So the idea is that it's uh, it's actually run by a Swedish company. They've been doing a little bit overseas, but it hasn't actually occurred in Australia before. So instead of filling up the wheelie bins that you have along the street and waiting them to be collected by a garbage truck with all that associated noise and people getting out of Look, vehicles. I love this idea because freezing cold nights in the winter, Thursday nights, taking the bins out, I just don't want to have to do it. No, that's exactly right. So the idea is, is rubbish is then transported from commercial buildings and apartments initially and it goes basically an, through an underground network of vacuum pipes that speeds up to 70 kilometres an hour. So it's really whisking that rubbish away. Wow, so it's just going to, you're going to drop your, your waste down this hole and it's just going to suck it off down, down the pipe somewhere. Exactly right. And initially it will be, obviously, say your rubbish bins along a CBD area and, and that drops down. But the idea is eventually for apartments and uh, you know, maybe multi-storey buildings to have that there because then you can have multiple chutes. So they can have an organic chute, a recyclable chute, a general waste chute. So well, that makes those, sense, yeah. Yeah, and so you can drop that down. Uh, the big issue here, James, is that the, the Sunshine Coast, it's Maruchador is the exact place they're doing it. Oh, wow. It's talking about the idea here that it's going to... You know, save all the smells, but also save the cost of a garbage truck running up and down. Now, I know garbage trucks can be expensive, but it wants to have a lot of cost because the cost of just this installation over only six kilometres is $21 million. Yeah, wow. So I think the big issue here is the retrofitting part of it. I can see in new housing estates, in new apartment blocks, installing this when you're already installing water pipes, sewage pipes, electricity, internet, all those things, all make sense. But retrofitting, going back and retrofitting your street and my street with this sort of pipe and then having that able to take it away, I just don't think that it's going to be cost viable. Love the idea, absolutely love the idea, but making it justified in terms of cost. I also wonder, you know, what are they going to do if it gets clogged up? I mean, they've got to have they've got to have some sort of contingency plan for when these sorts of things happen. We know that this sorts of stuff can happen, and you know, you know people just sort of reaching a little bit too far down that hole, and then 
They get sucked in as well, and <laughs> bye-bye, Grandma. Um, yeah, there's got to be some sort of uh, contingency. Well, I was thinking of Grandma's teeth. I wasn't thinking of all Grandma. <laughs> I thought maybe the teeth might go, but, but hopefully they've got some safeguards in place so people don't go down them. But but I think you're right. They'll have to be large enough pipes that all the rubbish can fit down there. They've obviously got some fairly slippery lining on the inside of those pipes so that obviously rubbish doesn't get glued there as such mm. to the side of it. And then someone, at some point in time, you know that someone's going to have the fun job of, hey, Jimmy, you started yeah. last week, guess yeah. what? <laughs> <laughs> Get the work experience kit on. That's exactly it. Yeah, right. And provided no one sh- tries to shove a mattress down there or whatever, yeah, we should be right. But, yeah, uh, that's right. Anyway, interesting concept for getting rid of rubbish. We're getting we're getting better at getting rid of some of this stuff and not seeing all these things above the ground. Even good old-fashioned power poles, new estates now typically have that underground. So you look across a housing estate, a modern housing estate, and you see very little evidence of infrastructure, all that stuff that's under the ground. Mm. Yeah, well, as you say, um, all this uh, modern development uh, and what's going to go ahead uh, in when they actually build these things. We've, we've also got uh, this this new modern paint, um, a whiter than white paint. <laughs> I didn't actually know it was possible to go whiter than white. I was thinking white was just white. That was it, yep. but apparently not. Um, and this is a really competitive thing. Researchers are trying to create even whiter white paints. So Purdue University in the US have actually just beaten their own record for the whitest white paint. And in October last year, they had an ultra-white paint that reflected 95.5% of the sunlight that landed on it, which sounds pretty white to me. That's but, pretty white, yeah. But they've beaten it. They've yeah. gotten to the point now where they've got a paint that reflects 98.1% of sunlight. Now, I'm not sure at what stage they just call it a mirror, because I assume a mirror is about 99.9%. We're so, getting pretty close. Yeah, and I'm just thinking that, you know, you walk past a wall that's painted with this white paint. If you're not wearing sunglasses, you're in strife, right? <laughs> that's right. Well, if it's reflecting that much sunlight, it is probably look like just about looking at a mirror. So anyway, it's not so important the sunlight that it reflects. It's the infrared heat. That's why they're doing it. Because what they're trying to do, the researchers in this instance, is curb global warming. They have this belief that if they can coat buildings in this whiter than white paint, the heat reflected will reduce the amount of cooling that you need in the building, which therefore reduces the amount of electricity that's used, so therefore helping with global warming. So I, I know the next question from you, James, is that if we've got whiter than white, do we also have blacker than black? Well, I've actually heard about the blacker than black stuff. Yeah. This Vanta Black yeah, paint. It's yeah, it's very cool. It was developed in the UK. And so they have an absorption of light rate of 99.965. And I'm sure you've seen pictures of it, which looks fantastic. There's some fantastic stuff on YouTube about Vanta Black. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And, and I've seen aluminium foil, for example, that's been crunkled up and then a little bit's been painted with Vanta Black and it just looks like there's a hole there, like the old yeah. cartoons when you've that's got a, exactly. a hole pan in the ground. Hole. You can stick your head in. Yeah, <laughs> it, and, and that's right. It really looks like there's a hole there. Yeah, yeah, um, quite incredible. So the thing to me that's confusing about all of this is that if we've got whiter than white paint to keep our house cooler in the middle of summer, well, we want the opposite of that in winter because we want heat absorbed by our house because we don't want to have to heat the house up during winter. So what we really need is a vanta black roof for winter and then a whiter than white paint for summer and some way to switch automatically between those two. Oh, I'm seeing it right now. We've got some louver sort of design there with just a flick of a switch. It's got to be someone out there doing that, surely. Yeah, well. And then add our solar panels on top. I'm not sure how they fit into all of this, but <laughs> it sounds like our roof's going to be a pretty complicated sort of structure. But, oh, yeah, it, j- it just blows me away um, where technology's going with this. And that's a fairly simple sort of technology. I say simple, <laughs> but getting whiter than white or blacker than black to paint um, your house with yeah. just to uh, manage your energy use. Yeah. Yeah, 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 Good idea. Yeah, a really top idea. 
And another top idea, and I like this one. It's come out of uh, come from the people who made Spotify. Um, they've uh, and I've got to say, Spotify revolu- re- uh, revolutionised music for me. Being able to re-design um, all those um, old mixtapes that I'd had back in the eighties, <laughs> um, Spotify solved all my problems. I've now got a digital record of all those. But now they've got a device um, for placing in your car. Yeah, yeah. And I'm a bit confused about this. Spotify, you're right. They do a fantastic job as a streaming service. And if you have a streaming service or some way of digitally delivering content to people, whether it be software or music, whatever it might be, that's one whole business model. Then when you start getting into the hardware space, it gets a bit more complicated. They've, you know, got, they've actually got to have a factory to make stuff now. You've got to make stuff with hardware. You've got to have stock. You've got to get it out somehow. You've got to post it out or get it out into retailers. It's a different ball game. I'm not sure if Spotify have thought about this too much because it's one of those things kind of stick to the knitting is one of my business rules. Yeah, do, yeah. You do really well. But anyway, they've, they've decided that they're going to get into the hardware and, and that's fine. Then uh, effectively, they've come up with this name, which I'm not sure if it was an intern on duty that day or the, the marketing department was off on a day yeah, off. I love this name. They've called it the car thing. <laughs> and, and, and I've talked to some people about this and they said, yeah, but what's it called? The car thing you're talking about. No, no, that's it. It's that's it. The car thing. Yep, yeah. So, I love the simplicity of it, and, and that's my kind of device. It's sure. the car thing. <laughs> that's right. What have you got there? I've got the car thing. Yep. So the other thing that's confusing about this is the car thing basically connects to your car, obviously, and then to your smartphone. So it's an interface between your smartphone and your car to play your Spotify. So I'm, I'm not convinced here. It's got a big knob on it that you can use to flick between your different playlists or among your playlists you might have. It's got four big buttons, the old presets, the presets on radios. Yeah, yeah, well, yep. Look, my mum and dad are loving the sound of this already <laughs> if they're listening in. Um, yeah, there's comfort there when there's buttons and stuff. Buttons, when you've just yeah. got that flat screen, there's, oh, what are my options? Maybe I've got too many options. I don't know what I've got to do here. And, and so that phases some people. I've got to say, I'm not completely against this. <laughs> so they've still got a touchscreen. You can still talk to it. So it's got the modern conveniences. Oh, right. So it's still well as, yep. Yeah, okay. as well as the push buttons and as well as the big knob on there. So I'm a little bit different to you, James. I'm, I'm actually not convinced. <laughs> I'm not convinced that you couldn't just put your smartphone there and use your smartphone. I mean, the big knob, I like the idea of because you can be driving and just reach over oh, and yeah. turn the knob like you yeah. could on the old car radio rather yeah, than very functional. try and find your phone and try and press the face of the phone. But I just think it seems like a device that's got a couple of extra knobs on it for the sake of just using a smartphone or having a playlist that goes long enough for your car trip. Look, let's see how it goes. I'm just not sure it's going to knock sales out of the ballpark yeah. on day one. But Maybe someone really liked the 80s and 90s and thought, well, yeah, we get those big devices. Well, the device that's got the big knobs and buttons and stuff like that, um, just like we had 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, yep. And look, I also like the fact that it's one of those things that's got a, a single purpose. That's, that's got right. a job. Yeah, and I do simple. like that. Yeah, I yeah. Do, we seem to be getting devices now that seem to that do everything. Do everything. I mean, a smartphone is a perfect example. That so, does so I worry that that's my smartphone. I'm probably getting about twenty percent of its potential. That's pretty impressive, actually. Twenty <laughs> percent. Well, if I'm getting twenty percent, I'll give myself a pat on the back. But I just feel like there's so much more that my phone could be doing that I just kind of need to really spend a day, a week, really learning the ins and outs of my smartphone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So the single use, I'll do it like that. Uh, let's see how it goes. We'll, we'll have a look at this when sales start and see if they actually rush off the shelves and I'm completely wrong or whether they just kind of fall flat and maybe someone at Spotify doesn't have a job anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll wait and see there. Watch this space. Now, tech often moves faster than the law can keep up. 
Um, but when the law catches up, eventually big tech companies can find themselves really on guard here. And we've got a big story a bit about how Google has had to um, front up to the Australian Federal Court. Yeah, and they didn't do very well in, in terms of that court case. They've lost a case in the Australian Federal Court after being found to have misled consumers. Now, the court found that Google still tracked your location with your Android phone even if you turned off location tracking. So uh, officially... Those dirty mongrels. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's what the, the, the judge said. You dirty <laughs> mongrels out there. So officially Google missed their consumers by thinking that if they turned off their location history, it would mean the company would stop storing or keeping data on a person's identifiable location data, which kind of seems fair enough. I've turned that off. That's it. End of story. But no, they kept tracking your data and tracking your location. So if you really want to turn off your location tracking, there's another spot you had to go into to turn off that as well. Yeah, just when you think you've done the right thing, you've looked after yourself, yeah, there's right. another door that you've got to lock. Yeah, so the, the ACCC was the one who brought this case to the federal court, and they're obviously pretty happy with the outcome. And it's the first ruling of its type in the world. So it doesn't really matter much for Google in Australia and, and for most large models. Multinationals. The market in Australia is is obviously tiny, but the implications across the world could be huge because now that a federal court somewhere in the world has found them guilty of misleading there's consumers, precedent. there's a whole bunch of other countries around the world that might say, oh, you know what, those Aussies over there, they went okay, we might have a crack at the same thing. So yeah, right. Google would have fought these tooth and nail, I can imagine. They would have had a team of lawyers there that would have been there fighting all the way, but obviously they lost that one. And with every time we see something like this, we all just lose just that little bit of confidence in these big tech companies yeah. doing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah, and well, I guess, you know, they're, they're trying to serve their own purposes. They're trying to make their dollars and, and there's some sneaky ways to make your dollars. And if they're tracking where you are, yeah. they're getting information about how you are, what what you're doing. That's right. We just can't trust anyone too much these days. Uh, <laughs> you and I, James. What you about and I. the olden days when we used to trust everyone? That's right. <laughs> my mum still, you know, my mum only died a couple of years ago, but still to the to the end of her time, she would leave the back door in her house unlocked. Just yeah. figured that it was too complicated to worry about mucking around with a lock. And yeah. no, no how hard we could try to convince her, she, nah. she, she didn't believe that someone would come and break into her nah. house. <laughs> just on that whole theme of security... I'm always worried that my smart speaker is, is listening into more than I want it to. Um, not enough to really make me want to disconnect it, though. But, um, yeah, there's that, there's that worry. Now, the next generation of smart speakers are coming out. Um, the question, I guess, is would you be happy? Would anyone be happy enough to allow that to be... Tuning into what you're doing while you're sleeping. Yeah, it sounds a bit creepy, doesn't it? Having having someone in the room, whether it be a, a device or a human watching you sleep, sounds a bit creepy. But we are certainly pretty good at adopting technology and, and whatever it is. You know, Aussies are pretty good at adopting. Uh, we've got 600,000 smart speakers that were sold last year in Australia. 2.8 million households have got smart speakers across yeah, the nation. Yeah, they're popular. I mean, I've got two of them in my place. Yeah, yeah. that's right. So they're, they're, they're very popular. And, and most of the time... You play music with it or look at the time, set an alarm. I know I've got ours set up here at the office to control lights and control TV stations, that sort of thing. So yeah. they're fantastic. And I use them for about 20% of what their functionality is <laughs> here, right? right. Yep, okay. yep. And again, you're going well. <laughs> um, but you've got some additional capabilities coming in some of the new smart speakers, so such as being able to follow you around as you walk around the room and also, as you said, watch you sleep at night. So the latest Nest Hub from Google has got this low-energy radar technology. It's called Soli, and that will let you control the device by moving your arms around, waving your hand to move on to the next track, for example, in your Spotify playlist. But also, it can actually track your body movements during sleep, including 
it, it's, it's good enough that the subtleness of your chest rising and falling while you're wow. breathing. So we can actually check your breathing rate, how restless you are during the night. And the really interesting thing is when you wake up in the morning, it will give you a report on how well you slept last night. Oh, wow. So I guess this has got uh, potential medical applications. Like if you suffer from something like sleep apnea or something like that, that it can be monitoring. You may be setting an alarm if, if it detects that, um, yeah, you, you haven't slept. hasn't risen for long enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. And, and some of this tech involved in health is a bit scary because it's just – not always tested well enough. It's good for a bit of fun, yeah, yeah. but I'm not sure that some of these companies yeah, might okay. be so relying on it. Yeah, okay, so just back my truck up a little bit there before we start <laughs> Well, look, I'm sure it's possible, it but I'm not sure the that chemist, I'd, yeah. I'd have my whole whole life based on on this sort of, uh, I suppose, technology in, there, in, in the testing they've got. But I mean, I normally just work out whether I've had a good night's sleep, whether I've got big bags under my eyes, yeah. but, but now I'll be able to look at my smart speaker and say, did I sleep well? I'm happy to get out of bed when my alarm gets off. It goes right. off, yeah. So even uh, the new Amazon Echo, it's, it's basically got a stationary base, but the screen that sits on top is on a swivel head. So essentially you can be on a video call and as you move around a room, you might be just in the kitchen doing dinner and chatting to one of your kids and it will actually follow you as it moves around the room. So it starts to just get this little bit creepy as you start to get this interaction. You can access that remotely as well. So check on your pets while they're at home, for example, might be one of the things you might want to do. Check what's going on at your home if you're away and the kids are at home, not having a party, of course. So, <laughs> yeah, it just it, it, it does start to feel creepy. I mean, again, if we've got confidence in these tech companies, it's probably okay. But if we start to worry about what they're doing, what they're analysing, what they're looking at without really telling us about it, that's a whole other separate yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, base, uh, case there. Well, you've got. To, I guess you've got to just make sure you've um, gone into the settings and clicked on the right things <laughs> and then gone into the sub-settings and clicked on the right things there as that's well. That's right, and then wait for federal court ruling to make sure they, they followed their instructions. Let's change tack a little bit. I, I want to talk a bit about green energy. And the hardest sell for green energy, I guess, is can we make it economically viable? Yeah, well, look, if you listen to the latest pitch from the opposition party, then absolutely it can be economically viable. There's a jobs revolution waiting in the wings based on clean energy is what they're talking about. And they might, or we might, as a nation, miss the boat if we continue to focus all our resources, excuse the very bad pun there, on exporting coal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah, this is something that really interests me. Like, um, I I think about, you know, uh, people say, oh, but we've got all these jobs um, that we're going to lose if we we go green. But then I think about uh, all the changes in industry we've had, where how we used to rely on whalers for our whale oil, but um, obviously we don't need whale oil anymore because we don't use it anymore. Well, what happened to the whalers? Yeah. Yeah, they they had to get another job, didn't they? That's um, right. It was, and, and that sounds pretty tough to say, but anyway, look, I've cut you off there. No, no, oh, I'm really interested to know more about um, where we're going with this. Well, look, there's two problems I think that the government, or the opposition, sorry, has identified here with coal exports. One is the demand is subsiding. There's no doubt about it that around the world, the demand for coal is dropping. So if, if we rely everything on selling coal, mm. and the demand dropping, that's not great. We're going to be left behind here. That's right. And then the second part, and I've had this argument with people before, James, the second part is that if you dig a hole in the ground, you eventually get to the bottom of that hole. Now, some people have said, that's a long way off. Mm. Well, it's true, but it's still, we should be still looking. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. So so you're going to run out of supply at one point in time, whether that be five years, 10 years or 50 years, you're going to run out of supply and the demand's dropping. So it probably doesn't sound like a great place for our nation to be in, say, 100 years' time. Imagine them looking back at you and I going, huh, James and Matthew, back in 2020, if only they would have said we should do this better, and they yeah. might be a third world country in 100 years' time if we yeah. keep relying on coal. So anyway, back to the, the proposal here. The opposition's proposing a $15 billion 
National Recovery Fund that centres on clean energy to extract every job opportunity that comes with a shift towards clean energy, which I think there are. Um, Low-cost renewable electricity is the key to unlocking jobs, and, and I think this is where their growth is. And I actually see an export opportunity here. I wrote an article, it was a computer magazine I used to write for years ago. It was about 2007. I wrote an article, it was a bit of just a, a, a thought bubble. I thought, I wonder if we could power Australia with solar panels. And when I did the, the calculations, and mind you, they were back of the napkin calculation, so don't, yeah, right. don't hold yeah. me to these exactly. But <laughs> yeah. roughly, if we had a square of solar panels, about 30 kilometres by 30 kilometres, so about 900 square kilometres, which is a fair chunk, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but it's still quite possible because we've got a few square kilometres out in the desert. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you had a 30 kilometre square of solar panels, that was enough to power this nation. Now, that was 2007. Since then, our solar panels have become more efficient. More efficient, We've yeah. actually used less electricity per capita, so we're actually getting quite good at our electricity usage. But wind turbines now have come along to give us a bit of power during the night. We've got batteries. So I think we could do that. But then I reckon the export opportunity is we've got a bunch of desert out there, and I've ridden a push bike across that desert, and there ain't much out there. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so a whole bunch of desert, a whole bunch of people around us who a need clean energy. energy. Yeah, and yeah. underwater cables these days are quite incredible in what we transport under our oceans with mm. in terms of internet and power so exporting that coal that coal no no very no, bad mistake <laughs> exporting that electricity that clean electricity i think there's a huge opportunity there so anyway this is the sort of thing they're talking about i mean all of this sounds a bit too simple for any government to jump onto doesn't it <laughs> well but but i come back to we're heading towards the second quarter of the 21st century here mm. and coal is still an industrial era technology yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, you're right so let's see what happens here at least there's some conversations around it. That's the important thing. Yeah, those conversations are really, really growing, um, and let's hope there's something behind it. I want to feed back into something that we were talking about earlier. The question is, have you guys ever had a conversation about green widgets and then noticed ads popping up on your phone for green widgets? Can you tell if there's confirmation bias or your phone is really spying on you? What, what do we do here? Look, I thought I definitely knew the answer to this one, James. But after that earlier story about Google and the ACCC, I'm not so sure. I mean, your your background in science would make you very familiar with confirmation bias. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And so that, that's something that, like, it's, it's it's the essence of superstition, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we get we get one little instance where we think, oh, that was a bit weird, and then we, and then we start to put a bit more weight behind it. All of a sudden, it becomes fact. Yeah, that's now, right. I'm a victim of this as well for this particular topic <laughs> because I'm sure that my wife is getting too many ads for the Maldives uh, right now. And so, yeah, I'm sure there's something behind it. But anyway, tell me more, Matt. Well, look, and that. That, that sort of confirmation bias. Like There's my confirmation bias right. right there. Or, or, you know, you buy a new red car and then everyone's driving a red car or whatever it might be. So it's a really easy way for people to be tricked. And, and good scientists are always conscious of making sure they aren't being tricked by just confirmation bias. And that's bias. what we're trying to teach our students these days in high school is about confirmation bias and being careful, being yeah. ready for a different idea. Well, I've had lots of readers and listeners, your wife wasn't one of them, who <laughs> sent me stories about definitely their phone was listening to them. They had conversations around something and then next thing you know, ads started popping up yeah. for that same thing. And and I must admit, I've been a little bit dismissive of those people. I've actually said, nah, just confirmation bias. Don't worry about it. You must have typed in something on your computer. It's not listening to you. It's all okay. But I'm just starting to question myself now. I mean, sites like Google and Facebook know lots of stuff about us. They know how old we are. And, and so, for example, if I'm 70 years of age, then I might see more ads for aged care facilities. And that's just 
clever AI at work. If they know what time of day it is, I might see coffee ads come up in the morning, for example. They know my parental status. They know what I'm interested in. They know... They've been watching us for a while, but have they been listening to us? And I guess there's a fairly simple scientific test you could do for yourself. Yeah, well, this is exactly what I think people should do out there. Come up with something... Obscure. I mean, the Maldives are a perfect example. Come up with some holiday destination no, no, that you're never going to go to. They already know that we want to get it. Well, <laughs> sorry, my wife wants to go to the Maldives. Um, so come up with something else obscure, some place that you've never thought about, you've never typed in, never been interested in, or just, just some topic. I'm actually trying the experiment at the moment with wedding dresses. I'm not about to get married. I've got no kids about to get married. There's no reason for me to type in wedding dresses into any of my search engines. So I've been saying wedding dresses around my phone for the last few days, and I'll continue the experiment. I'll give you results in maybe a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, right. Right, so so you're not typing any your, anything into your phone at all. So there's no way your phone could other pick it up at all, exactly other right. than if it was listening to you, so, just as it sits on the kitchen table. That's right. So that's what I'm saying to people: come up with something obscure, talk about it around your phone, talk about it or around your, your uh, Google speakers, whatever, yeah, whatever yeah. devices you've got there. Just talk about it, have conversations with people in your household about it, but make sure no one types in that, and then just see if some of those ads start popping up. Yeah, and again, right. before this ACCC case, I would have said absolutely definitely positively in fact google facebook and instagram have all categorically denied that they use audio to decide what ads to serve you and of course yeah surely we can trust these companies again i would have said yes until some recent incident so i'd be really interested i'd say listeners send in your experiment ask at techtalk.digital is the email address to send it to send in those experiments have a a look at those and give me as many details as possible because i want to know how you've done the experiment, what you've done, and make sure there's none of that confirmation bias slipping into it because I'm really interested to see if, if they are listening. Yeah, yeah, well, uh, it will be really interesting to see that and uh, I think I'm going to go home and do a couple of those tests myself. <laughs> All right, now, surveys show Australians want to buy electric cars, but the sales are still only around about 0.7%. That's compared to our, many other countries that, that are now hitting double digits for percentages of new car sales. So what's this about? What, what's holding us up? And I've got to speak, I've got to confess, right, this is a time for a confessional, I would love to have an electric car, and I think our next car might be an electric car, but I've still got to fork out the cash and actually buy the thing. Yeah, that's right. And that's, that's the big thing, isn't it? It's all well and good to say, I would like one. That's my intention. That's right. Yep. So you're right, sales have stalled. Excuse a very bad pun there again, James. Uh, um, but... Uh, the car makers across the world are blaming government policy, but I think it's a bit more complicated than that. So there's been some surveys that have done back from 2018 through till now, and it's up to 50% now of Aussies who are saying, my next car, just like you did, my next car, mm, I, I, I'd like to get an electric car for my next car. But it's at 0.7%. There's a huge difference. It's not like 50% to 38%. It's yeah. 0.7%. Now, when you look at some places, and you said double-digit figures there, I mean, places like Norway, they're at 75% of new car sales. Uh, when you get Iceland, Sweden, they're at 45 and 32%. Even the UK, they're over 10% now. So you're getting some nations who are really getting onto it. But take Volkswagen, for example, and, and I, I think Volkswagen are trying to do a really good job to try and recover from Dieselgate. I, yeah. I, I lost a lot of confidence in, in Volkswagen. I used to have a lot of time for them, but after Dieselgate, a lot of confidence lost around the world. They're saying that their future is electric. Last year, they sold 212,000 electric vehicles around the world. Now, not quite Tesla. Tesla about half a million. But I think they're going to be on track to be the largest EV seller in the next yeah, couple of years. Right. The number of models you can buy in Australia from Volkswagen that are electric is zero. Absolutely zero. And again, what they're saying is that they're going to put cars into countries that have got 
good policies that support what they're doing, that back up the concept of EVs, and really, why are you going to go into a market that makes it hard to sell compared to a market that makes it easy to sell? Yeah. So that's that's their logic, and, and I suppose there is a bit of government policy there, but it's the chicken and egg thing as well. Yeah. If all these manufacturers rushed into Australia with 30 new different models and the pricing was good, people like yourself who go, look, I wouldn't mind, oh, wow, look at how many choices I've got now, and that's a pretty good price, I'll go and buy one. So, yeah, yeah. They, could, they could forget about it. I suppose the, the real message from me here is that you can still make choices. If government policy is lagging, then sometimes I joke about our government not being leaders anymore, they're followers. If the consumers start making the purchases and making the decisions and the change, government suddenly will say, oh, there's some votes in this. We better jump onto this. Suddenly they're all EV friendly at the moment. They don't see enough votes, 0.7%, who cares? And they probably don't introduce the policy. So you and I can make the difference, James. And that's the trick. And I guess the writing is on the wall for petrol-powered cars. Yeah. Um, yeah. We still have some people who are still quite vocally defiant, though. Um, anyway, what sort of things are, are going to happen overseas? That's the big question. So many countries and states across the world are putting uh, in place bans for the sale of electric cars. Which state is the latest? Yeah, look, Washington state lawmakers, and this is pretty significant, they've done two things that are significant across the world in terms of banning EV, sorry, banning, not banning EV, banning gas-powered or petrol-powered cars. The first thing they've done is they've been earlier than anyone else, 2030, they've banned gas-sailed cars from 2030 being registered or sold in the state of Washington. That's the earliest in America. There are some other countries around the world that are a little bit earlier than that. But the second big thing about this one is it wasn't a governor who sometimes you'll get a governor who will go and sign an order to say, that's it, gas card the gas-powered cars are banned from a certain year. Sometimes critics are saying they're trying to get a bit of publicity out of it, they've got a bit of a green bent, whatever it might be. This one was the first one in America that's been passed by the legislators, by the yeah, houses right. so themselves. It's coming from the top. It's coming from the, the all the elected officials. So it's pretty hard to say, oh, all those elected officials are trying to get a name for themselves because it's they're all presumably doing what's best for the whole state. Yeah. And it was a bit tight. The Senate only got the vote through 25 to 23, but the House was a bit clearer, 54 to 43 in the House. So I, I can see now when other states in America look at this result and say, wow, they went earlier over there, the legislators are on board, our state might be left behind if we keep ploughing away the way we're doing things. So I can see more and more states jumping on board. California, we often see as one of the leaders in, in sort of the green fa focus for America. Uh, they've banned them, but that's not to the year 2035, for example. They might bring those back earlier. And Massachusetts is the same. They're 2035. They might bring theirs back earlier. Well, yeah, these dates are constantly changing. Yeah, we, with, yeah. Uh, with you know, each week we get some new news on this sort of stuff, yeah. yeah. So anyway, we, we won't be long, James. We'll sit back here and we'll be doing a tech talk and we'll say, ha, remember those old really? days? Yeah, we used to put this flammable liquid in a car and you'd burn it. And what were we thinking back yeah. in those old, old days? Oh, my goodness. Well, ladies and gentlemen, um, that's another week of Tech Talk with Matt Dickerson. Uh, thanks very much, Matt. That was extremely enlightening. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks, James. No worries. I'm James Eddy. Uh, I've been your host today, and we look forward to talking with you again in another week's time. Thank you.